Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning I want to take you on a little history lesson. We're going to go back in time to a controversial time in the church history, the Reformation. The Reformation refers to a period in church history where different people within the church saw things happening that they didn't agree with and began separating from the Roman Catholic Church. One of the most well-known of the reformers is Martin Luther. He is the founder of the Lutheran Church in all of its myriad variations. This is not to be confused with Martin Luther King Jr., who was alive in the 1960s. Well, up until the 1960s, really. Martin Luther. Luther was a monk. He lived a life of service and spent a lot of time in Scripture, and especially in the commentaries of Scripture, and while reading one of the letters of Paul in the New Testament, Luther came across an idea that really wasn't being taught in the church at the time. The idea that God's grace was freely given and not earned. You see, in Luther's time, the Roman Catholic Church had a practice called selling indulgences. Indulgences were basically passes for people who were stuck in purgatory to be able to get out of purgatory and into heaven. Now, there were various ways within the Catholic theology for people who were in purgatory to get out. One of them was holding masses or holding uh, communion for, for those people. But during the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church came up with this idea that people could pay for a slip called an indulgence would actually get their loved ones out of purgatory and into heaven. Basically, they could buy grace. Part of the reason that this practice came into being was that the church was building St. Paul's Cathedral in Rome, which is a very beautiful but very, very, very large church, and it was very expensive, and the church had to figure out a way to pay for it. So this is the context in which Luther is reading and writing. 
And he comes across this idea that God's grace is actually free and freely given. And he saw that the church wasn't preaching that. So this led him to change his mind on some things, write them down, eventually posting them on a door in the church in Wittenberg, Germany on Halloween, and uh, hoping that the church would see this and want to reform. Well, that's not exactly what happened. Rather than reforming, the followers of Luther ended up breaking off from the Catholic Church and forming the Lutheran Church. Other reformers of the time had their own followers, and they broke off forming their own churches. That's really where we get the beginning of so many of our denominations today. I share that story because this concept of free grace that Luther found and preached selling indulgences has gone sort of to the other extreme in our culture. We are told early and often that God's grace is not something that we can earn. I don't think we even bother saying that it's not something that we can buy, but it's true. You can't buy God's grace. It is given to us apart from our own worthiness. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. We just have to accept it. And if we accept God's grace, we will be saved. Now, I want you to raise your hand this morning. Is this the, the kind of nugget of the gospel that you have heard your whole life? Is this what you've heard? Yeah. That, this is a true message. There's nothing wrong with this message. And you can see in it how it's been influenced by Luther's teachings in response to his own context. However, we hear it differently today. Rather than hearing Instead of having to pay for it, God's grace is free. We hear, I don't have to do anything because I just need to believe and then I will be a Christian. If I can't earn salvation by what I do, then I don't actually have to do anything. I just have to do what it says in Romans 10.9. Confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Then I will be saved. And you know what? This is true. It is absolutely true. But it is the bare minimum. It is the bare minimum that is required for salvation, for the faith to, have effect, to be effective in gaining eternal life. The bare minimum is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. And for so many, we have settled for the bare minimum. When I was in college, I was shocked to find out that there were people who would go through the syllabus, you know, at the beginning of the semester that laid out all of the assignments and tests and what everything was going to be worth. They would go through the syllabus at the beginning of the class to see how grades were determined. They would see how much each assignment was worth, each quiz, each test, participation, and then they would figure out the bare minimum that they needed to do in order to pass the class. And if they got to the end of the semester and they had a high enough grade that they didn't have to take the final to pass the class, guess what? They didn't take the final. They just skipped it. They were completely happy to just do the bare minimum to pass that class. This blew my mind. They weren't interested in learning what the class was about or the knowledge the professor had to offer. They were interested in doing the least amount possible walk away with the same certification that everyone else would have. This is the attitude that we find today. What is the bare minimum that I need to do in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved? What is required 
best of me so I can be just good enough without having it affect my life in any way, shape, or form. A few weeks ago, I suggested that the church is facing a crisis because less and less people are committing to their faith, less and less people are attending and being the church, less and less people are being the Christians that they could be. And one of those reasons is because we have historically had the attitude of the bare minimum. What is the bare minimum I have to do in order to be saved, but nothing else? And in many ways, the church has done itself a disservice when it talks about the gospel message only in terms of heaven and hell. Do you believe in Jesus? Good. You won't go to hell. And that's all we've learned. And people have realized, I don't have to go to church if all I have to do is believe something. Why devote my time, energy, money, and talents to the church when all I need to do is believe that Jesus died for me and I'll get to heaven? John MacArthur in the Gospel According to Jesus writes this, A Christian is not one who simply buys fire insurance, who accepts Christ just to escape hell. We have seen repeatedly true believers' faith expresses itself in submission and obedience. Christians follow Christ. They are committed unquestionably to Christ as Lord and Savior. One of the passages that Luther loved so much was from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the language of free grace, and it's true. Again, I want you to hear this. It is true that it is our faith that saves us through God's grace. It is a free gift to God. Can I get an amen for that? Yes, but, and I know you don't want me to say that, right? Paul continues in verse 10. For we are what he has made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So often we focus on what we want to be saved from, that we forget to think about what we are being saved for. We are being saved for good works. In fact, this says we were actually created for good works, that it would be our way of life. Christianity isn't a religion that is only concerned about what happens to us after we die. It is primarily concerned about what we choose to do with the life that we have right now. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That would, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, someone who follows his teachings and his way of life in their lives now. And to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple, it comes with a cost. You see, Jesus was a really powerful preacher, and wherever he went, he had crowds following him and people wanting to be like him and do what he was doing. But in our passage today, Jesus makes it very clear that it would cost them to follow him. He tells them, 
that they have to hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, or they cannot be his disciple. Now that sounds harsh, especially considering what we know of Jesus and especially considering his command that we love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Wouldn't our family be considered our neighbors? Well, to understand what Jesus was saying, we have to understand that in the Hebrew context, in the way that they used language, they would use these great hyperboles to make a point. So, you know, if they said, if you ask someone, like, did you have a hard day, instead of just saying, yeah, it was a hard day, they said, it was the worst day in the history of mankind. That's a hyperbole, right? Do they actually... Are they actually claiming that? Probably not. But they want, they're communicating to you this was a bad day. It's the same thing that Jesus is doing. It's a hyperbole. Jesus isn't saying that they should actually hate their family. He's saying that being a disciple should come before even family obligations. Being a disciple meant putting God first, even before your family and even before your own life. You have to be willing if the time came and the circumstances demanded it to leave your family behind if God asked it of you. That's a hard thing. Let me tell you a story. There was a woman by the name of Perpetua who was a Christian convert and she was pregnant and the Roman government came and Christianity at this time was outlawed, and they said, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. They wanted her to deny it for the sake of her unborn child, but she couldn't. The Romans allowed for her to give birth to that baby, but while, that, while she was still breastfeeding that child, she ended up be, being martyred for her faith. Millions of people still know of Perpetua's story of someone who was called to put her faith before her family. That is what it looks like. And we think, how could God ask people of that? That doesn't seem right, but let's look at Scripture. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac that he had waited a hundred years to have, and the vessel through which God's promise was supposed to happen. But Abraham obeys. Now, God doesn't actually have Abraham sacrifice Isaac. If you know the story from Genesis 20, we know that God provides another sacrifice. But God knew that Abraham put God first. We see in the New Testament a rich young man wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus tells him, you can follow me, just sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the man couldn't do it. He chose his wealth over discipleship. To live your life as a Christian means being willing to give everything, to give all to Jesus, because that's what he demands. He's not looking for a hokey-pokey Christian. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Someone who puts their hand in, maybe I'll do a little service. Oh, it's a little inconvenient, not going to do it, takes their hand out, right? Oh, that looks interesting. Maybe I'll I'll just, you know, put my toe in. 
try this out again, maybe come to church for a few weeks. Oh, this is getting, they want me to do stuff? Ooh, toe goes back out. Right? It's a hokey pokey Christian. I heard that phrase in January. I've literally waited nine months to use it. (laughs) Jesus is looking for people who are willing to put their whole selves in, right? To put their whole body in, to put their whole life into discipleship. He's not looking for people who are trying to find the bare minimum. He wants people who are on fire for God, who are committed, and who are ready to follow. And it's a big demand. There's just no way around it. There's no way for me to really kind of uh, make that palatable. We'd like for there to be some fine print at the bottom with a list of exceptions that maybe we fall under. But the truth is, God wants each one of you, and God wants all of you. Jesus tells the crowd in our passage that they really count the cost of what it means to be a disciple, to really follow Jesus, to really say that you love him. Jesus tells us that if we love him, we will obey his commandments. This comes from John 14, 15. And those commandments can be difficult to obey if we are holding back. If we are living for ourselves rather than for God. If we are trying to find a way to be a part-time Christian. Because there's no such thing as a part-time Christian. You're either all in or you're missing out. I talked before about how we have not been witness to the power of our faith because that power only comes when we are all in. And if a Christian faith that you know has been a little lackluster in your life, if it's only been a mild comfort to you in times of trouble but not a regular part of your everyday life, it's because you're cheating yourself. You have opted for a cheap grace that only fulfills the bare minimum of what God can do for you. But if you are willing to count the cost, to give your whole life over to God, that's when you feel the power of the Christian faith. That's when you will experience the peace that passes understanding. That's when your faith will move mountains and your life will have impact and change things that you never dreamed possible. You know, Mark Fink over here has a favorite illustration that I think is fitting for today. He likes to talk about the difference between being committed and involved. So do you like to eat eggs and ham or eggs and bacon for breakfast ever? Yeah, a few people. Uh, That chicken was involved in that meal. It provided the eggs without any real cost to the chicken. It'll have more eggs, so the sacrifice was really quite small. But in order for you to have that ham or that bacon, that pig was committed. There was no turning back for the pig, and the sacrifice was its whole life. God isn't looking for people to be involved with the church when it's convenient for them, without it really changing them. God is looking for people like the pig, willing to give everything that they have for the sake of the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Notice the word living there. 
Okay? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us count the cost of discipleship. Yes, grace is free and freely available, but if you really want to experience the Christian faith, you must be a disciple. And you must be willing to pay the cost to be a living sacrifice. And then, only then, will you experience what your life was meant to be. Amen.